are listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Midtown. This is our sermon series, The Holy Spirit, Power in Us. Peace be with you. Today's scripture reading is from Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 11 through 21. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible. For what makes everything visible is light. Therefore, it is said, get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is, and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you. My name is Pastor Timothy Paul Jones, and I have the joy of proclaiming the word to you today. I've been gone for a couple of weeks, and it is so good to be back. Uh, Two weeks ago, I was in prison for a week in a maximum security prison, not as an inmate. I was teaching people the history of the Bible uh, for a week, uh, some men at a maximum security prison, uh, that, and then last week uh, delivered an academic paper at the Evangelical Theological Society, and it is so good to be back here in this place with you. This is the place that I love, and it is good to be with you. Well, a few years ago, I met Thor, the god of thunder, and he was sitting in a hotel coffee shop in Providence, Rhode Island, and he was not happy at the time. He wasn't exactly Thor, but he was a really, really, really good imitation of Thor. See, what had happened, I was speaking at a conference, and the conference I was speaking at overlapped for one day with Comic-Con Rhode Island. Now, if you know anything about Comic-Con, it's pretty amazing. There were people dressed up as Darth Vader and the Mandalorian and Captain America, all these different people. And as this conference was was wrapping up, as Comic-Con was wrapping up, I went down to finish up the paper I was going to present, down to the hotel coffee shop, and I sat down, and, and there was Thor right there. I mean, he was sitting there drinking his Mocha latte was very, very grumpy. Thor, I will say, by the way. So I, I greeted him. I'm dressed up as a theologian. He's dressed up as a god. So it's kind of the same thing, sort of. And every time people were coming in, the people would want to have pictures with him. Now, after they left, he said some things that weren't very godlike about those people. He was really not wanting to have, but I mean, come on, if you're sitting in a coffee shop dressed up as Thor, you need to expect people are going to want to have their picture with you. I don't think he was very worthy of the hammer. But he, he was like, people were going out. And, and what struck me as I was watching him was like, man, you are dressed up like a god, but you're actually kind of pathetic. You're imitating a god, but you're doing a pathetic job of imitating a god. Now, I 
couldn't help but think about that incident when I read the opening verse of the chapter that we're looking at today, Ephesians chapter 5. Look what it says here in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God. And here's what I thought of as I read that, my goodness, you can't even imitate a false God, a fake God, without looking pathetic. How can we possibly imitate the true God? If we can't even, as human beings, imitate well a false God, how can we imitate the almighty God, the eternal creator, the infinite God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit? How on earth, Paul, can we say be imitators of God? That's absurd. How can we possibly imitate the God of the universe? But there is a truth that I want you to understand that is woven all the way through Holy Scripture, and it's this. The simple truth. Everything God requires from you, he supplies for you in Jesus Christ. Hear that. Everything that God demands from you, he supplies for you in Jesus. And so if God says, through the Apostle Paul, be imitators of God, what that means is that God will supply the way for you to do that. That is a beautiful and a comforting truth that God does that. And you see that all the way through this passage. Chapter 5, verse 1, it says, be imitators, imitators of God. And then it said, as those who are dearly beloved children. Do you hear that? Don't be imitators of God so you can get to be beloved children. Be imitators of God because I've already made you my beloved children. But then it goes on and it says in chapter 5 and verse 2, walk in love. Oh, how do I do that? Then it says, as Christ has also loved us. He does it first. He gives us the capacity. And then he says to do this. If we go down even further in this particular text, we see hints of this again in verse 8. If you look in verse 8, it says, therefore, once you were darkness, but now you are light. How on earth am I light? Well, look at this. In the Lord live as children of light. Do you see what's happening right there? Do you see the pattern there? That Jesus, the light of the world, because you are in him, God sees you as light. He sees you as his beloved child. He sees you as someone who can imitate him, not because of your power or your goodness, but rather because of his power and his goodness. Everything that God requires, God supplies to everyone who trusts in Christ. Hear that? truth. And so be imitators of God, it says. And God will supply what we need. And one of the ways that he does this is through his Holy Spirit. Now, this is the last sermon in our series on the Holy Spirit. And what we're looking at today is filled by the Holy Spirit. What does it mean to be filled by the Holy Spirit? And there's simply two simple points I want you to get today. And it is number one, in Christ, you are free from the darkness. And secondly, in Christ, you are filled by the Spirit who empowers you to do what you could never do on your own. Those are the only two points I want you to get is you are free and you are filled in Christ. In Christ, first, you are free from the dark. 
It says, as we read earlier back in verse 8, you are light. If you are in Christ, God sees you in Christ. You are free from the darkness because you are light. And that's why it says in verse 11 that was read earlier, don't partake in the fruitless deeds of darkness. But what on earth does it mean here? Fruitless deeds of darkness. What is that? Well, Paul tells us earlier in this text, all the way back in verse 5, and he says, For no one recognized this, he says, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person, which is an idolater, does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. There's three things he's identifying as fruitless deeds of darkness sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness. But why does he call them fruitless? And here's why. He calls them fruitless because each one of these takes something that is good, some good gift of God, and distorts it so that it doesn't produce the fruit that God designed it to produce. And so it's fruitless because each one takes something beautiful and good, distorts it so that it doesn't do what God intended it to do. The first one of these, of our sexuality. You see, our sexuality is intended to point to God's union and his faithful love for the church. God's covenant love in Christ for the church and inside the marriage covenant of a woman and a man, that happens It points to the beauty of God's faithful love in Christ for his church. But anything outside of that, it's fruitless. It's distorted. It doesn't point to Christ and the church. So the fruit that God designed isn't produced. It doesn't point to what God has done in Christ. Impurity. See, God designed our minds to dwell on what is pure and beautiful and good and to speak words from our minds that build others up. That's how God created us. That's what God created our minds and our mouths to do. But we get caught up so easily in things that are impure or obscene or angry or degrading. And when that happens, it disorders and it degrades God's good design so that what we think and say becomes fruitless. It distorts it. It doesn't produce the fruit that God intended. Covetousness, some of your translations have greed at that point. Do you realize that God created you to yearn for something that you don't yet have? God designed your soul to yearn, to long for something that you don't yet possess. And that that you created your soul to long for is the presence of God himself. God created you to long for something you don't have, to yearn for something that you don't possess, something that God will give his people at the end of time in pure and absolute satisfaction, that we will look on the face of God himself and we will be satisfied with that. And in the meantime, God created you to yearn for that, to long for something you don't possess. But here's what happens. Covetousness. Or greed distorts that desire. That longing for what you don't have, you become convinced that it can be satisfied by that job, by that level of income, by that degree, 
by that spouse, by that object, by that experience. And what ends up happening is the yearning of our soul that God designed to yearn for him and to yearn for what he will give us at the end of time. We turn that toward things that we think will satisfy us now. And they don't. They don't ever satisfy it. And so covetousness and greed, it's a fruitless deed of darkness, it says. Why? Because it takes something beautiful and good that God has created and it distorts it into something that is ugly and fruitless. So that's why Paul says in verse 12, don't even let these things take up your conversation. We could say it is shameful, he says in verse 12, even to mention what is done in secret. He says the same thing in a different way back in verse 4 where he says obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. My goodness, in our world no less than theirs, it is so easy to get caught up in what is grotesque, what is obscene, what is crude in our world and in theirs. For us today, we can get captured, we get, we get wrapped up in all the latest celebrity gossip that wallows in what is vulgar. We get caught up in that. I'm not participating in sin. I'm just following it on social media, every detail of it. It's so easy for us to get caught up in that. Or that surge of superiority we feel when we see somebody completely humiliated on social media that we think they deserve that. You see what we're doing? We're, maybe I'm not sinning, but I'm finding enjoyment from that. So easy for us to get caught up in that. Or humor and laughter about sin. And Paul reminds us that sin is not a laughing matter. We all need this reminder. Because hear this. The sin that amuses you will eventually seduce you because it's desensitized you to the awfulness of sin. The sin that amuses you will eventually seduce you. You laugh at sin today, and that same sin will be laughing at you tomorrow. Never forget that. That's what Paul is communicating about this. And yes, there are times that we need to talk about sin. Yes. But ask yourself this, when I talk about sin, am I speaking with a broken heart? Because sin should make us feel broken at the world, of what the world has become, of what we've done through our sin to God's beautiful world, what it costs on the cross because of our sins. All of that should be there, and we should speak of sin with a broken heart. And Paul says when it comes to dealing with sin, he says don't participate in it. Don't speak of it in any way that is in any way affirming of it. But he says, verse 11, don't participate in this, but instead expose it. Expose these deeds of darkness. Then he says in verse 13, everything exposed by the light is made visible. He says expose sin for what it really is. But how do you expose the dark? Let's think about this for a moment. How do you expose the dark? Well, let's just think about it this way. Suppose this afternoon, 
I walk into a room in my household and I begin, it's dark in that room, and I begin saying, I hate the dark, this stupid dark. I can't stand the dark. Why is it so dark in here? And, I, and I'm going on and on and on. And one of my children eventually walks up and says, Dad, just turn on the light. And it's remind, what I say that to remind you of is that we don't expose the darkness by yelling at the darkness. We expose the darkness by turning on the light. It seems like there are a lot of Christians who think that the way you expose the darkness is by yelling at the darkness. So they develop this constant cycle of outrage at everything going on in our culture, or even parading the most grotesque sins before everyone, see this is happening, see this is happening, with some sort of a, a glee almost. But you don't expose the dark by pointing to the dark. You don't expose the dark by yelling at the dark. You expose the dark by shining the light. The best thing you can do to expose the dark is to live a life that is filled with God's light. That's what exposes the dark. It is your life of living in the Spirit in such a way that you're shining the light of Christ. That exposes the dark. When your life imitates the beauty of God's light, that's turning on the light and exposing the dark. And that's what Paul is getting at in verse 14. Look what he says in verse 14. He says, what makes everything visible is the light. <laughs> what exposes it for what it is, is the light. Turn on the light. But then he reminds us beautifully at the end of that verse, you aren't the source of that light. It's not you. It doesn't come from you. Look at what he says. And these words at the end of verse 14 are probably a little bit of an ancient baptismal hymn. An ancient hymn that was sung by the church when they baptized somebody. And here are the words of this. Get up, O sleeper, and rise up from the dead, for Christ will shine on you. What is the source of the light? Not you. Not me. Any light that we have in us is because of the light that is first and foremost in Jesus. And when Christ is shining on you and through you, you become free. But my goodness, how do we do this practically? Remember, everything that God requires, God supplies. And that brings us here to the Holy Spirit. We are filled by the Spirit who empowers us to do what we could never do on our own. Verse 15, pay careful attention then to how you live or how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise. And we need to think really briefly about this word wisdom and being wise. Because wisdom is simply this. It's paying attention to how God made the world and living accordingly. That's what wisdom is. Paying attention to how God created the world and living according to that. That's what wisdom is. But one of the things we see in Scripture is that wisdom is often connected to the Holy Spirit. Chapter 1, verse 17 of Ephesians, Paul has already made that connection of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom. So when he pulls up this phrase, wisdom, right here, the people know he's pointing back to the work of the Spirit that he has prayed for at the beginning of this book. 
And when we live with the wisdom of the Spirit, the result is, he says that we're not unwise, we're not ignorant, and we're not drunk. And he says in the midst of this, making the most of the time because the days are evil in verse 16. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. When you live wisely, you make the most of your time. In essence, Paul's saying here, you've already wasted enough time in sin. Don't go back there. Don't waste your time with that. And it gives us a very different vision of what it means to waste time. You see, we think, I feel like at times, wasting time is not being productive. That's why it's hard for us to rest in our culture. Because we think that wasting time is not being productive. Using time well is to be productive all the time. But that's not God's view of what means using our time well, redeeming the time. In God's wisdom, wasting time is settling for what doesn't really satisfy. Spending your time on what doesn't ultimately satisfy. That's what it means to waste time. To redeem time is to do what will last. To do what will bring us true and godly satisfaction. That's what it means to redeem the time. And sometimes, just as a side note, as much to myself as anyone else, sometimes the best way you can redeem the time is to rest, is to take the time to say, I don't have to be productive all the time. I can rest. Saturday, after I got done teaching you in prison for a week, I set a high goal for myself on that Saturday. We went to an amusement park and I decided I was going to ride every roller coaster in the entire amusement park. And so me and my one of my daughters did. Now that wasn't productive, but let me tell you something. That was redeeming the time. It was redeeming time because it was investing time in something that matters and it was taking the rest that my soul needed. Redeeming the time is to invest in what lasts and will ultimately satisfy. But then Paul says in verse 18, he says, don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. Now, some of you are probably heard filled by the Spirit and you're like, oh no. I had been in churches where they were filled by the Spirit and I thought Sojourn wasn't one of those churches, but here I am and here we are, okay? Sojourn both is and is not that type of church. <laughs> filled by the Spirit. What on earth does that mean? It means simply this. You are empowered to do God's will in a way you never could have done in your own power, period. That's what it means to be filled by the Spirit. To be empowered by God, to do in His power what you could have never done in your own power. That is what it means to be filled by the Spirit, and in the book of Acts, we see that, yes, there are some things that seem really supernatural that were happening, and there's some things that don't nearly seem as supernatural. If we were to go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 4, we find that being filled with the Spirit resulted in them speaking miraculously in other languages. But if we go to Acts chapter 4 and verse 31, what being filled with the Spirit looks like is being bold in sharing the gospel. 
And if we go on to Acts chapter 13 and verse 52, what being filled by the Spirit is, is to be able to rejoice even in times of persecution and pain and suffering. That's what it means to be filled by the Spirit. To be filled by the Spirit is to be empowered by God to do His will in a way that you could have never done in your own power. And if you're a Christian, think back in your life to that time when you said no to a temptation that you had every reason to say yes to. Nobody was going to catch you. Nobody was going to know. And you said no to something that you were tempted to do. You were filled by the Spirit. Or that time when you confessed a sin and asked for help in a way that you could never have mustered that up on your own because it was embarrassing, it was humiliating, but you knew you needed help. Nobody had caught you, but you confessed it anyway. You were filled by the Spirit. That time when you were suffering, you were in a time of darkness, you were struggling, and yet you found a peace that you couldn't explain. You were filled by the Spirit. That, that time when you spoke the truth boldly in a way that you afterwards thought, how on earth did I say that? You were filled by the Spirit. That's what it means to be filled by the Spirit. And this isn't something that just happens one time in our lives and we're done with it. It's something over and over repeatedly that can happen in our lives. But how? How? Well, I want you to notice a pattern. You can go back and look it up later in the book of Acts. Whenever there is a filling by the Spirit, it's always preceded by prayer. Always. There's prayer, there's an impossible challenge, and there's being filled by the Spirit. It's preceded by prayer. And so, if we want to be filled by the Spirit, then be a person of prayer. Be a person of regular, consistent, fervent prayer before God to be filled by the Spirit. Because we need the filling of the Spirit over and over and over. The famous evangelist D.L. Moody was asked by somebody at one point, have you been filled by the Spirit? And he said, yes, but I leak. And we all leak. <laughs> we are filled by the Spirit at times, but we leak. And we need more, don't we? We need it over and over and over. So we have to be people of persistent prayer because though you may have been filled by the Spirit at some point, you leak and you need more. That's what it is to be truly and authentically filled by the Spirit. And here, what happens as a result of being filled by the Spirit in this text that we're seeing today is that people are empowered to love and to care for one another in a free and an uninhibited way. That's what's happening right there. They're empowered to love each other in a free and uninhibited way. That's why Paul draws the parallel with being drunk. Because when somebody overindulges in alcohol, you feel a false freedom, and you have a foolish loss of inhibitions. 
But when you're filled by the Spirit, you have a true freedom, and it removes the inhibitions that keep us from caring for each other. The presence of the Spirit sets you free in a true way and removes the inhibitions that keep you from loving one another well. And that's why Paul says after this and the results of this, speaking to one another, singing to one another, psalming to one another, giving thanks in all things to God, submitting to one another, all of those things are things that we are often inhibited from doing in our care for one another, but which is absolutely necessary for the people of God. To speak to one another, sing to one another both from Scripture and from songs that aren't in Scripture, to be able to submit to one another and to thank God together even in times when things are hard. That's what's going on in this text. When you're drunk, you don't care what other people think in all the wrong ways. But when you're filled by the Spirit, You don't care what other people think in every right way. You don't care what other people think. So let's talk about what that means practically from this text. All right, let's think about it. You see that person across the aisle or or somewhere in the building that you think they look sad, they look lonely, look like they're really struggling right now. And you are inhibited from going over to them and say, hey, how's it going? Is there anything I need to pray for for you? Because what will they think? What will other people think if I go over there and do that? Will people think I'm weird if I do that? You're being inhibited. Be filled by the Spirit. (laughs) And go ahead and do that. Be filled by the Spirit and speak truth to them. Some of you, when we're singing... You want to sing loud sometimes, but you wonder what will other people think if I really sing out? What will people think of me? Be filled by the Spirit. Turn up the volume. Go ahead and sing out. Go ahead, do it. Some of you, if I clap, what will people think of me? My goodness. And some of you, You need some clapping practice. It's two and four most of the time, not one and three, okay? But here's the thing. Jesus still loves your worship when you're clapping on one and three. Jesus still wants to hear your exuberance in worship even when you're clapping on one and three. The angels wish you'd clap on two and four and you'll eventually get there. But Jesus loves your worship on one and three, okay? Go ahead. Go ahead and don't be inhibited by all of these factors of your worries about what people will think. And how often do we hide our pain and we fail to be vulnerable because of the fact that we're afraid of what other people will think. Be filled by the Spirit and say, I need help. I need help. There's no human power that's going to make you do that. But there is God's power. Be filled by the Spirit. And when you've wronged your brother or sister, you said something that's wrong, you said something, you realize, man, that wasn't the right thing to say, or you just messed up in some way. Look what he says, they're submitting to one another. None of us feels like we have to be above one another. When you wrong one another or you're hurt by one another, go and be able and be willing to say, 
I'm sorry. <laughs> I messed up there. I'm really sorry. Will you forgive me? No excuses, no reasons, just I messed up and I'm sorry. That's submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Be filled by the Holy Spirit. Be filled by the Spirit in a way that your inhibitions that shouldn't be there are wiped away so that we can be open and honest and transparent and joyous and singing out and worshiping as the people of God together. We need some WUIs worshiping while intoxicated by the Spirit, under the influence of the Spirit. That's what we need. We need to be worshiping in a way that we are under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. That's what Paul is calling for right here in this text. Be filled by the Spirit. Do the impossible. And understand beautifully, wonderfully, God be praised. Understand that the power for you to do that was purchased on the cross. Oh, the power is purchased on the cross. That's why Paul says in verse 2, walk in love as Christ also loved us. And what does he say? Gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. What makes it possible? Jesus died in your place. And the same spirit that empowers you to do what you cannot do in your own power is the spirit that raised him from the dead and brought the victory. And because of that, all those deeds of darkness that we talked about, they don't have the final word over us. We can confess those to God. We can take those to the cross. They can be washed away by the blood of Christ. And we can truly and authentically be free and be filled at the same time. We're filled and we are free. You try to imitate God in your own power, you will be just as pathetic as Thor with his mocha latte at the coffee shop. But you imitate God by the power of the Spirit, and God will do things through you that you never imagined were possible. So what do we do with this? There's three basic truths I'm going to leave you with. One of them has to do with just wrapping up this whole series. We've been talking for a few weeks about the Holy Spirit, and what I hope it leads you to do is to delight in the Trinity. To delight in the Trinity. You realize we worship a God who was loved from all eternity because though he is one, he is also God in three persons. And so because of that, there is eternal love within God. And that love is what he has extended to us. We worship a God who is one and in three persons, each one fully God, equal glory, equal majesty. That's the God that we worship. And I bring this one up because I spent a week in prison teaching this class, and some of those in the class were Muslims. And for me, there's nothing like Islam to make you love the Trinity <laughs> because there is not a God who has loved from all eternity. There is not a God who has loved for all eternity. There is rather a God who is one 
and yet there is no multiplicity where God is love within himself. There is a God of power that they believe in, a God of strength, but there is not a God who loves like the God we worship. There is not a God who in Christ can become incarnate and enter into our world and our life and suffer for our sins. There is not a God who can send his spirit within us to do what we cannot do on our own. There is not that. There is not that. And that is what we worship as Christians. A God who is triune, who loves from and for all eternity. Second thing, pray for the Spirit's filling. Actually pray for the Spirit's filling. Pray to be filled by the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, before somebody is filled by the Spirit, there's prayer. There's prayer. Pray for it and then act on it. Do what you cannot do in your own power because of the power of Christ in you. Lastly, remember that a holy life begins with knowing you're wholly loved by a Father who never fails. That first verse we read, be imitators of God, not so that you can be beloved children, but as beloved children. You already are beloved children. You don't imitate God so that he will love you. You don't imitate God so that he will adopt you. You are loved and adopted as his own in the midst of your sin. And he calls you out of that. And he asks you, commands us to imitate him, not to earn his love, but because of his love. His love is already there. I want you to ask yourself this. How would I live if I felt completely secure? How would I live? How would I live if I knew that I could never lose the love that matters most? How would I live if I did not fear not being loved? Here's the truth. That though our human relationships may and can and do fail many times, there is that love. There is that love. There is that love. And some of you have had fathers or mothers or others that have failed you so thoroughly and so persistently that it is difficult for you to wrap your mind around that. That there might be a father who never ever fails. But there is that Father who will never let you go, who loves you in Jesus by His Spirit. and He makes you free and in Him you can be filled. In Him you can be filled and free. Hear these words from a sermon by Augustine of Hippo, the North African pastor in the sermon to newly baptized people about this text. The Holy Spirit has come to abide in you. Do not exclude him from your heart in any way because he is a good guest. He found you empty and he filled you with himself. 
He found you hungry, and he satisfied you. He found you thirsty, and he has intoxicated you. May he truly intoxicate you. For the Spirit of God is both your drink and your light. Amen. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit SojournChurch.com slash Midtown.